I'm Stefan Ango, and you're listening to Well Made, a podcast presented by Lumi. And this week, Jesse Janae, my co-founder, is on. Hey, Jesse. Hey. This is a long time coming. We were planning to do an episode uh, together this week to answer some people's questions, but then I thought we've got to we've got to do an emergency session because <laughs> you had a you had a blog post that went like viral i think it's like your most shared it's probably the most shared lumi thing ever i've never done a post on medium ever so i would say it's definitely my most popular <laughs> wow it's a good way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> coming out strong yeah coming out strong first post it was uh, like on the front page of medium for a few days and cnbc C- yeah, reposted it recode reposted it it's crazy um you got some big hitters posted on twitter and whatnot So do you want to just, what was the title? Um, Running a business with boobs, the things I never say. That was the title. It was a (laughs) two-parter. It was a two-part title. Uh, Little, yeah, I just wanted people to, wanted to spit some truth about what it's like to have boobs. Okay, so I just want to mention, I think, here's why I think it went supernova. Okay. There was, I I dialed, I I wrote down the four things that I think make it a popular post. One it's like very short and it distills like 12 years or like you're half of you. Well, I'm 29. I've had boobs the whole time. Well, I mean, they come in to focus. At a certain right. Point. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but it, you know, as an entrepreneur, so the, the post is basically about what, it, what, what it's like to be a female CEO in, in air quotes. Um, <laughs> Well, I, that, that's how I, feel I like read I'm it. I'm a female CEO, like not in air quotes. This is why I had to write the article, guys. <laughs> I'm just no, giving you a hard is, time. No, my point is it's a... Uh, so right. what are the four things? Well, here's what I... Well, there may be five, actually. One is it's like short, but it has it's very dense. It's like so much information and that it took you a long time to put together sure. but you conveyed it in a short amount of time which is like the best because there's so much fluff out there that's like long articles about nothing yeah. whereas this yeah. is a short article about a lot of stuff the second thing is it's perfectly timed because it w- came out on international women's day it was about things that are relevant to that um the third thing is that i think is like secretly amazing that i've never thought about before <laughs> is it's irrefutable because it's not an opinion piece it's just your experiences personal experience so and i think that's so powerful for that type of post because it's not like you trying to say this is you know my opinion about something or this is what is right or wrong about the situation it's just these are the facts about things that happened to me yeah, uh, yeah. Bi- like bias in action so it's irrefutable even if you are someone who I guess disagrees with feminism or something like that. Right. Um, you you can disagree. You with can't my disagree with the facts. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I thought that was good. And then, um, it's really funny. So that's great. I, I didn't even put that that's on the not list. Even but one of that the was things? not on the list. It's, that's it's, a huge that's element. A huge that's element. A huge I didn't element. even think about it until just now. And then the last thing is you never talk about this stuff. And so I think that it makes it more powerful somehow because especially for the people who know you, um, who had the ability to be like those first people to make, you know, some noise about this piece. It, it, I probably, it probably came as a surprise to them that you would write this because you never talk about this stuff. Right. I I think that I, the comedy element and the fact that I'm usually 
I'm usually a polite person. Like I don't, don't you say think this is not a polite. Piece. It's not polite to say like like for instance the first point about don't invite me to an event and admit that it's because I'm a woman. It's kind of like inviting a black guy to your birthday party and admitting that it's because you don't want your other friends to think you're a racist. Like it, that's how I'm I'm, in, I'm admitting to, I, I'm kind of putting the truth out there that that's how that makes me feel sometimes and it's so true like it has happened so many times where I get invited to something and I'm at first like oh my gosh like I've unlocked a new level of entrepreneurship like there's awesome VCs inviting me to this retreat or like something really cool and then just as I'm enjoying that moment there's like they throw in like yeah like we really wanted more women to be there and it's just like it stings it's like I so so anyway but but comparing it to inviting a black guy to your birthday party like that is something that people don't expect to come out of my mouth because usually I try to not make people uncomfortable. Like, I don't enjoy making people uncomfortable. Yeah. But I wanted to just put it out there unvarnished. Why did you write this? Or how did, why did you get inspired to write this? I woke up that morning. I come into the office. I'll paint a scene for you. Okay. <laughs> I, walk, I walk into the office every day around somewhere between 6.30 and 7.30 a.m. I think this is around 7 a.m. You know, Flexo, my dog, he's running into the office with me. I walk the whole length of the building. I'm the only one it's there. It's a very long building. It's a very long, long building. Long dog. Long dog. He's, he's half dachshund. Um, we, we walk the whole length of the building together, and I sit down at my desk. No one's there. I realized it's International Women's Day, which I hadn't been thinking that much about, to be honest. And, oh, well, there was that whole thing about should we boycott work? Like, women, you know, a day without women. And here I am in the fucking office. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, go for it. (laughs) We just have to... (laughs) Tuesday, Tuesday Basson, like, sweared a lot. So we had to, like... uh, Write it explicit? Yeah, we had to... Okay. Well, this is going to be an there explicit I am show. in the fucking office <laughs> um, alone earlier than everyone else as a woman, not boycotting work. You don't boycott your own company. I mean, I just can't even understand that. So so there I am. And I sit down at my desk at 7 a.m. I look at my email inbox is full with stuff that I should be doing. And I think to myself, I've got some stuff to say. I've got some things to say today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. I've, got, I've got some things to say about the fact that I'm here at 7 a.m. and I've been here at 7 a.m. For, for 15 the, years. For 15 fucking years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I, and, I fe- and there's things that I don't say because I'm too polite and I don't like to make people uncomfortable. And I'm just going to say them today. Like, this is the day to say it. Yeah. Uh, and that was it. And so I, from, I spent from like 7 to 8 or 8.30 Got interrupted, like, you know, you came into the office, Spencer came into the office, Ryan came Did in the I office. Did I come in while you were writing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys all came in while I was writing it. You all had, like, questions and things, like, talk about. As usual. Three different dudes interrupted me writing this article. I still made it, still got and, it out. And, and she persisted. <laughs> I, and she persisted. <laughs> and so, you know, even with all those interruptions, I had to give someone, like, a coaching lesson on sales. Then, you know, around 9.30 or something, I just wrapped up finishing touches, chose the boob photo. The Is boob that, photo that got me photo. blocked from Facebook and got the article taken down. Who knows how viral the article would have been right. with full virality on Facebook. I don't know if this is because I grew up in France and it's just like there's boobs everywhere. But I don't, under, I don't understand. Yeah, like most advertising in France is the, the premise is... If you like boobs, you're going to like this product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yogurt or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yogurt. <laughs> no, yogurt yeah. is number one on the <laughs> right, list. Right, right, right. So I, I don't like... I don't like boob shaming. It didn't, but I chose the, I chose very the photo. Tasteful. It's just a very tasteful photo. It's a photo from Life magazine from like the early 1960s. Right. That is what 
blows my mind about how puritanical the internet has become. If Life magazine can publish a photo in the early 60s that has a boob in it, and now we can't One handle very it minor nipple. on Facebook, yeah. it's a great, well-shaped boob, female boob. One boob is out. I think the problem is the nipple. There, there's, a, there's a nipple shaming. Yes. There's what, a, the there's female a, nipple. Yes, there is nipple shaming. And I got, I got the article taken down. I do think, because there, there was an experiment going where we were trying to figure out if they are censoring it purely from female people on, yeah. on Facebook. And I think it's true. I really, well, I think there's some sort of algorithm. I don't think it's like intent intended to be this way, but I think there's some sort of algorithm that like detects nipples on, uh, female women's posting. profiles and like removes them. Hunter walks boob. He's a, he's a man and his, his, his did get taken down, <laughs> but I also used him as a guinea pig on Twitter. And I, and I, I said like my post was taken down. How come these other men's, reshares of my yeah. posts are, are still up and and it's just it's interesting like i'm Mine's not still up. yeah yeah so i posted today i finally i got access back to my account and i just i can't let it go because it really bothers me because it feels like censorship so I, I posted i created a version of the photo where there's a middle finger emoji over the nipple and i reposted because think about it right if a middle finger is less is fine right but the nipple, the natural nipple, <laughs> is not fine. That is that's a, that's sick to me. That that seems wrong. But you know, such as I like, mean, it is in the Facebook policies, and so I guess you you know, it's like I don't know. The, the The policies don't make any sense. But somehow, maybe we can have them change the policy. Yeah, if the policies don't make any sense. You gotta change the policy, like, like, it, you know, like, what, what, who, we're just a bunch of lemmings. We're like, well, it is, uh, uh yeah, right here in the terms of service, it says here that, uh, you know, like, I, something else inane, and you're just like, well, it's written right there in black and white, you know, like, it's, yeah, of course you have to fight the power. <laughs> All right, or taking down Facebook or freeing the nipple. Um, was there? Anything else that surprised you about the reaction? I mean, aside from the fact that it was so, I guess, popular. Um, I think that it's interesting when something gets more like mass um, reading. You know, I think that it's up to like 100,000, you know, views just on Medium. And then it was mm. posted on those other places, for instance. That you start getting reactions from like people from all different walks of life and, um uh, nothing there nothing really surprising exactly um i don't think everyone appreciates my humor <laughs> well that's just, that's so hard to yeah. i think i think we need to get your humor out there more right. i think that's the thing because people when, the written word on the internet it's so hard to get the right tone and i think that i think the intro does a pretty good job yeah, but like, it doesn't i have boobs I also run a business, you know, my, my, my business. More well, you know, but you said at up top, like, you know, my keen wit, my like just, keen you're wit. just yeah, joking I'm, around. I think it's clear that it's a comedy inspired. The sentences are very short. I just like make a point and I'm like, assume women know things. Like I was born as a baby. Like that's a sentence. Like I was born a baby and then I turned into a girl and then I became a female CEO. But it's all like these short sentences to me that is building up the comedic effect of like, I am just telling the truth. For me, you know, this is my truth, and right. and it does. I, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I, I had fun because I like comedy. I don't know if it's if it if you're allowed to laugh at your own jokes, but maybe you are. That's all I laugh. That's what you laugh at. <laughs> yeah, I love. I like everyone's jokes. 
but I also like mine. Well, there, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's what I, people need to know your, your secret sense of humor. I don't think it's come out enough yet. Mm-hmm. It has come out here and there, but we need to like uh, make sure that people know yeah. that you're a funny lady. I could do stand-up on weekends, maybe. There's different avenues I could okay. try. <laughs> <laughs> These are the options. We have joked that... Um, um, As a backup career? Yeah. Well, we, we so Stefan and I are co-founders, as as I think people know. And um, and Stefan is really talented. What? <laughs> and he's a really talented designer. This is the first time I'm hearing about okay, this. Okay. Well, here we go. Stefan's a very talented designer, like creative thinker. Um, he's really like the... Um, you know, creative director in many ways of Lumi, as, as well as running our dev team and product on the digital side. And so it, it just seems I can, it can easily imagine him having a great career, like at a lot of companies like he, and, and I mean, I don't do well with authority. I think that's he the doesn't problem. do well with authority, but, but I also think authority can respect like, you know, you working hard on something in talent. Um, I probably also don't do well with authority, which is why we're here running a business together. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, I, I'm a CEO, I, I do our sales and, and I'm a hustler and I have all these other things going on. Um, but I do think that my fallback career would be like being in a comedy troupe. Like you would go and work at like, you know, Tesla as like a well-paid designer uh-huh. or something and I would be in a comedy troupe. Um You'd be like a street We'd have performer. to live together. Right? Like we'd have to, I'd want to pool our resources at that point. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, <laughs> because he'd probably be making like 200 grand a year and I would be like, like collecting money in a hat or something. So yeah. Some people, some of those people do really well. I think some of them clean up. And honestly, I think I have a head for business. And so I could also organize my fellow street performers or something and start a spreadsheet. Maybe you could be in like uh, Cirque du Soleil. I could show them spreadsheets. So, okay. Um, I urge everyone to read the piece. <laughs> by the way, I'm not. I, by the way, I have no concept of how Cirque du Soleil makes business decisions, so I'm really making that up. They were in. They were one of the stories in the Blue Ocean book. Remember? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I think they run a. I, I really respect them. I'm not knocking <laughs> Cirque du Soleil. No, I'm not saying that. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, but how do we? <laughs> um, but read the piece if you get a chance. It's really good. Um, but. The reason we are recording together today is to answer some people's questions. This is a new format for the show. We've never done this. Usually I'm interviewing, you know, some luminaries, some some interesting smart people, but today was just the two of us. <laughs> we are, we work at Lumi, so I guess we are luminaries. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Everyone I, turned off the podcast. Yep, well, I did it. Um okay, so what we did and I think that this is maybe if it works a could be a regular feature okay. um we asked people for questions uh through instagram and twitter and newsletter and stuff like that and so we got a lot of uh different things and i will try and answer we we have quite a few of them so i don't think we're going to get through all of them but we'll try and kind of cover a, a broad gamut of different questions because they they cover things from business to personal life stuff so we'll see how much we can get through um and I'll just go ahead and get started. Let's do it. Um, why don't we start with one of our friends, Amy Kosar. Okay. She asked a question, <clears throat> which is, um, tell us about your best small living tips. Okay. You want to give people context for that so question? So here's the context. <laughs> I'm being asked about small living because for the past year and a half, 
I have been living in a 200 square foot-ish zone. It's an Airstream trailer. I live in it with a puppy named Flexo and I decided to make this radical life choice mainly because I like life experimentation and I like to experiment with how little does a human need to survive. (laughs) That's like the foundation. I'm not going to explain that part. We're going to move on. (laughs) What are my tips? So I... So something that I've really appreciated about Airstream Living and Small Living, however you want to refer to it, is how much it makes you consider each purchase Mm. Um, because you like quite literally do not have room for extra stuff. And so when you think about when you're like cruising Amazon or something, you consider your purchases like volumetrically and you never double up on anything like you don't just randomly buy a spatula. You have a spatula. There's a certain amount of volume <laughs> that a spatula occupies. Yeah. You've got like three drawers in the kitchen. Like, So if you have a spatula already, you are buying a new spatula only if it's because you're going to throw out your old spatula. And so that level of consideration around everything, I actually considered doing a complete inventory of every object in the Airstream to mm. really make a list of like what does a human need to have like a nice life because I have a nice life like I have a full, you know queen size bed in there there's a shower full kitchen everything is small but it's a full like life you know um and so so that's one another one that that I um this is something that has been really important to me I don't know if it's a tip as much as an observation is how much time that I used to live in an apartment for a little for a year before that like this two bedroom apartment um that was like nice and I thought I loved it I thought that it was enjoyable to me but now I look back and realize I didn't love it that much and the main reason is that I don't think people understand how much time one spends thinking about what to fill a space with maintaining a space taking care of it taking care of all the stuff that you bought to fill the space and that means everything from like you know furniture I don't think or buy furniture the furniture is all attached to the walls (laughs) and and so like I can't buy I can't think to myself one day like you know I really need a new bed frame that bed frame was bought back in 2009 and it looks shoddy like my bed is built into the airstream you just don't have time to consider that. Or, you know, you, I mean, you don't have to take time out of your life to consider that. So your brain thinks about other things. And that feels healthy to me. Like, you mm. should spend your time, your waking hours thinking about things that bring joy into your life. As opposed to thinking about things to fill your space. Buying things that then need maintenance. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's a different way of when, life. When I lived in uh, Delft, in Holland... Uh, for six months or so I lived in a very tiny place uh, in like a Dutch little house <laughs> um, the kitchen was probably smaller than your kitchen yeah that's which is kind of crazy um, but there's a difference because I think what I've appreciated from seeing your whole experiment is that you are able to now own your house essentially. I'm a homeowner. yeah <laughs> and it's like the smallest I mean when you really think about it it's such a cool thing because you're paying when you you bought it with a loan you were paying about the same or less than you would pay for rent and then after a year or something or a year and a half you now owned your own house even even if it's just a small trailer it's right. still I like still own it. you still own it completely whereas when i was living in delft 
I had to pay a lot of rent mm-hmm. and I never got anything out of that. I was paying a lot of rent for this tiny little place. Yeah. And so I think what I've seen from you is the amount of freedom that it gives you once you get past the point where, okay, now you own this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you have the advantage of not having like as much, uh, I can imagine like not everyone has that freedom. Like if you live in Manhattan or something, you can't just park your Airstream anywhere. Right, right, right. But now that you have that, freedom it gives you freedom to go um use that income the rent that you would be spending to go to a hotel at a different place or right. use I it take, on other things i take or, many vacations in, yeah. in la like i've gone and just stayed in a hotel in santa monica uh for a weekend or something just because i want to and it's a you know and and you don't feel the other tiny living kind of freedom is that you don't feel any pressure to spend time at home which I think you don't understand you feel until you don't have any more so like for instance when I was paying for my more expensive like nice two-bedroom apartment on weekends I would almost feel like an unspoken or even unrealized to myself pressure to spend time there on the weekend like hang out there cook dinner there just be there because I barely spend time there during the week and so if you don't spend time there at all anytime you start to feel guilt over the rent so so you like um that all of that is like so unhealthy so I think that the I'm trying to think if I have any other tips around around doing it or the experience of it the main thing I think is is whittling down your possessions and starting to really value every single thing that you own and optimize it um and then and then the main other tip is like you the place you live doesn't define you so leave more often like go travel go somewhere else on the weekends you know just spend time wherever you want Home is a place to lock the door and sleep and shower and feel like you have enough to get by. Um, and I and I, and I don't and that doesn't mean I don't appreciate like I can imagine at some point in my life wanting to have a bigger home, wanting to build a home maybe from scratch. Like um, so it doesn't I'm not all about minimalism in that in that situation, but I just think you uh, you need less than you think. We got into a little bit of Stoic philosophy at some point in the past year, and that's like a thing that is often discussed. Needing less than you think? Yeah, like basically just subsistence, like not subsistence, but spending time living in the most um, basic conditions where it's like when you start to realize how uh, few needs are really, really necessary. You know, you need to sleep, you need to eat, you know, you need right. a, a little bit of I, personal space, but there isn't that much that you really need. And I think it's actually a mark of like, I, I feel for myself that the more confident I've gotten in myself, my career and other things I'm doing, the less I need materially mm. to feel comfortable. Because I think that when you, especially when you're seeking a home, you're seeking a level of comfort with your own life. You're like, you're like, you know, you get that apartment and you're like, okay, like, I'm okay. You know, I've got this apartment. I've got this place to go. I've got this place to be. It's like a refuge. Like, home is often a refuge. And I think that as I've gotten more and more confident, that, I mean, it, it is like Stoic. It is philosophy. It's like Stoic philosophy. It's like, if you can turn the refuge into, like, yourself, mm. then you don't need the fancy apartment anymore. Like, because you, you're the refuge. You can just sit down anywhere and you're fine. You know, like... Um, and you, and that's kind of the definition of needing less. Like you are the refuge, like you are home already. And then you can live in an airstream like, and, and it's, so it's many different elements, but 
it's also part, it's just detaching from feeling like you need much material stuff to feel confident and happy. And then it's also detaching from giving a shit about what anyone thinks about you. <laughs> so that, so that's the other element is like the other common reason people increase their, the place they live or the expenses that they're outlaying for a place to live is that they, they feel it's some sort of mark of where they are at in life. So that's why I actually think I want to con- keep opposite. sliding back down that hill. Yeah. Like, well, it's <laughs> no, but it's a thing, and I forget what people call it. But keeping it's like, up with the Joneses. Well, but there's this incremental. It's a. It's almost like a a mental uh, bias that people have, where you know you you sort of ratchet up in one direction uh, with your possessions. Like you start accumulating stuff, so now you need a bigger house to store all your stuff. So now you have a bigger house, so you're buying more stuff. And you just keep accumulating throughout your whole life, and then you die, yeah. and then someone has to sort through it. Yeah, and that's shitty. <laughs> well, yeah, but do you really need any of that stuff in the first place? Is the question right. that that being forced into a tiny confined space uh, forces you to contend with all the time, which is interesting. But at the same time, it also frees you from because you are working in a big building you know and uh you have like other ways to express uh your freedom right so i don't know i do it's an interesting topic we could go on for for a while on that maybe we'll have to do a special episode about it here's another question from justine chong my business runs pretty smooth with profits used for production but it just seems that's all that's happening the business covers itself with no monetary gain how do i move on from here love don't pay the bills yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a good. She end, likes her. That's a good end note. Um, yeah. So you're right. It's like you're running a business that that um can that consumes all of the money it creates. Basically, that's very it's very common. We were in that place for many years with Incodai, um, where the business consumed everything it creates, and and basically any business that is growing. By nature, if you kind of, you know, make a, um, financial statements and project them forward, any business that's growing that requires inventory and investment will essentially continue to consume all of its profits as it grows. Like, the point where you start profiting more, like, or getting more money to the bottom line and getting to keep it, is actually sometimes when the business hits more of a stasis. And so now you, um, get to keep more money because you know you... Because each production run is the same size. Whereas if each production run is 20% larger than the previous one, then you're always consuming your profits again. So what, what, that, what, what that means is a couple different things. One, if your business is growing and consuming all of its profits because it's growing, don't be so hard on yourself. Because that's like completely normal. It's like mathematically normal or mm-hmm. actually mathematically essential. It can feel crappy because you're working so hard and you don't get to kind of keep any money. But it is, you're not doing anything wrong. In fact, you're doing everything right because your business is growing. If your business is not really growing and it's consuming all of its money um, and you don't get to keep anything, then I would say you actually need to go back and look at the basic economics of your business. Should your project, should, can your product cost less? Can you be charging more for it? Is your, is your overhead or your rent or something that you're paying for just too high? Um, because if it, because because somehow you have to make the math work, and so those are like my practical, like just a brief practical tips on that problem. But let's just say that whichever situation you're in, it's growing 
or it's not growing. Either way, it's currently consuming all of the money and that just feels bad. Um, the, the life tips I have are try to make sure that you are giving yourself a salary um, and whether you're actually, you know, a payroll employee or you're just paying yourself as like a partner of the business, that's not important. What I mean is make sure you're giving yourself a consistent income and you kind of like pay that out consistently to yourself. I didn't do that for many years. I always took the hit. I always paid a bill or paid an employee or valued an investment in, you know, into growth before paying myself a consistent salary. And looking back, I think that was a mistake because here's why, like your point, like love doesn't pay the bills. What I found is that you, you don't need, if you are an entrepreneur that believes in what you're doing, you don't need a lot of money, uh, to be excited and keep doing what you're doing, but you need more than none and you need more than just subsistence because if you don't give yourself more than none or more than subsistence, you start resenting everything and everyone because <laughs> you're working like, you know, 60, 80 hours a week. You're pouring, you're taking financial risk. It's probably your personal social security number on the credit cards and the, you know, and the lease and everything. I've done all of that. And when you see, you know, a employee whistling into the office at, you know, 855, um, you know, and leaving at, you know, 559 or whatever, and you know that you're paying them the same or more than you're paying yourself, they're actually not doing anything wrong, probably. Like, like they're probably doing their job and they're doing what you guys agreed to, but you start resenting them because they're not doing as much as you. And, and so the, in all of this, I'm just getting back to the point that you shouldn't resent them because they're, as long as they're performing well, what you should do is just pay yourself a salary so that you feel good and you feel like a human being. Uh, so finding what that number is and making sure that you can include that in your financial plan and that the business, even, the, even if the business isn't throwing off tons of other cash, if you can hang in there and pay yourself a salary, just keep going. Like just keep going because you will, you will, find a way to crack your business over the edge into more profitability. Uh, but you just won't get there if you end up, you know, really unhappy because you're not even paying yourself enough to kind of get by. Here's another thing that might help her is, um, do you want to give a quick like 101 on cash flow? Because I think that is a concept that honestly, like when we first started Encode, I didn't understand it until like we started to really you know, having to deal with big retailers and that kind of stuff. And there's a way to design a business model that helps your cash flow. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Um, and it's, it's, I was sort of getting at it a little bit, but there, um, I forget the exact name of the book. Um, maybe we can find it and put a link up that is, it's like about, um, you know, financial, basic financial statements, you know, for, it's not a for dummies book, but it's like, it's that style book where it trains you on, financial statements um without you being you know financial expert and it makes some really good points in there um but there's plenty of other books about this as well the basic concept is that another reason why you can always feel cash poor is if your business is growing but it actually just has a negative has a has a poor cash flow cycle where you have to pay out to vendors um, and to other services and, and, and whatever it takes for you to actually produce and make your product available 
far before you get paid for that product. So in the Incredi business, it was a really terrible cash flow cycle. We had to buy pigments and ingredients from overseas. Um, they took often 30, 60 days to arrive. We had to pay for them up front. So we're like 30, 60 days before we even get the ingredients. Then it would take us another month to synthesize and actually produce a full product because we made the dye, bottled the dye, kitted the dye, put it into kits and MasterCards and whatnot sold it to retailers who would then request 30 or 60 day term payment terms. So there was like, I mean, it was a terrible cash flow cycle. It means that we paid cash out for a product that would sometimes take three, four, five months to actually get paid for. So it was, a, it was, we always felt cash poor, even though the business was doing well. Okay. But and that, that, that's one part of the equation. The second part is, why is it important to have the cash in the bank the whole time? Well, if you have, if, if in an, like, I'll, uh, I'll give a different example. Like, if you set up a business model, um, I'm just like, let's say it's a flash sale site or something, um, where you are selling products on your website that are coming from, you know, fashion houses and, you sell the product on the site and the customer pays right away. They pay with their credit card for the product. And then you have the um, fashion houses drop ship to the customers, but you've negotiated payment terms with them of net 30. Then that's a completely opposite situation. It's far better. You get paid, like let's say you sell $10,000 for the product. You got $10,000 that day. Like people gave you their credit cards on the website and then you don't have to pay that $10,000 or well, you paying less, whatever your margin is. You don't have to pay that $6,000 or $7,000 out to the fashion houses for 30 days. So you're holding onto the money, which means that you have this fuel to reinvest into new sales constantly in a much, much faster cycle. It's like almost infinitely faster than what we were dealing with with Incodi. So you can grow your business much more quickly because you have the cash in the bank and you actually have it in your hands. So that, I mean, this is a simplistic explanation. Yeah, even if in theory, like the amount that you're selling is the same amount, but the cash flow is um, much shorter in terms of the amount of time that you have to spend without having the money in the bank. Um you can invest those profits into hiring new people who might take you to the next level. So I, I do think that that, uh, in combination with the the first answer that you gave about like making sure you treat yourself properly, I think uh, can allow you to design a business model that that isn't constantly cash poor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think and, then, and I think looking at both of those things, are you taking care of yourself? Is your business growing or isn't it? Is there a reason why it's not profiting? Um, and then and then this and then this other point about the cash flow cycle. Um, and and maybe you find out you have a bad cash flow cycle, but if you know that, then you can take steps to improve it, and you'll find yourself feeling less cash poor. Okay, Amy Guzman asks, I'm working growing my business, and expanding my team. One thing I struggle with is putting systems and processes in place so I don't reinvent the wheel every time. Yep, that's a toughie. <laughs> um. <laughs> but th- those systems pretty much exist at every level. Yeah, so that's that's a, that's a really, that's an interesting one because it, it's a, it is a process that is like, literally never ending for for a, a for a business and and that won't sound very comforting but but it, it but it it's not all it's not all like you know gloom and doom basically as a business grows it is so natural that you grow out of systems and you have to like tear them down and build new and you just you're constantly doing that i think that 
smart, you know, when you, when you kind of get savvy to it, though, you're able to create systems that are a bit more flexible where you don't feel like you're constantly tearing them down fully. You're able to like evolve them a little bit more. I guess that for us, what we've learned is um, a few different things. One, whenever you have an idea for a system, the likelihood is that a lot of other businesses have had that issue and needed that system. And so the first thing to do is really try to comb through the interwebs and see if there's a really good solution for that that already exists. So, I mean, you know, simple things like reconciling, you know, um, expenses from employee credit cards. If that seems like, you know, it's really obnoxious, it is. And there, and there's actually some really great services who are working to solve that. Like we use a, you know, company called Abacus for instance, but there's several of them. Um, so, so that's like number one is see if the exact thing you're dealing with or a variant of it has been solved and, and whether you can benefit from that. Because when you're running a business, you kind of feel like a special snowflake, like this problem, like I just came into this problem and it's like, it feels so, I, I, no one has ever had this particular problem. And actually the likelihood is that like every, everyone else who's ever tried to run a business had that, that particular problem just with their own product. Um, and then the second thing is uh, get knowledgeable about using flexible systems in really creative ways. So what I mean is like going deep on tools that can be used a lot of ways, like even like Google Sheets, uh, Dropbox. Um, we use something um, called Airtable, which I is- I was going to mention Airtable. Which is yeah. an, like an online, uh, like cloud-based database. Um, that's Sort like, of spreadsheet slash database. Spreadsheet slash cool. database. So very, very user-friendly. Like you, it takes effort, like anything, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but uh, you can build out systems in something like Airtable or even like something like Google Sheets, you know, Airtable is more sophisticated because you can link two sets of data and stuff. Um, but you can build out systems to manage orders or to do things. And it's, and it's, it's so flexible. Like as you learn what you got wrong about your first system, you just change it and adapt it and evolve it in a tool like Airtable. So, so, so th- th- those are, those are my two recommendations. And, and, and in tools like like Airtable, for instance, like a, you know, database, online database thing. The other way you can arm yourself with creating systems um, is to get, get geeky, like get, get geeky, meaning like I took some time to learn some simple database logic, like how, how, what is a database? Like literally, what is it? Um, How do, you know, you link fields across different sheets? What does that mean? Um, and, and by getting geeky a little bit as the CEO and as a leader, now I'm able to kind of help shape and frame some of the initial systems we build to make sure that they are durable. So, um, at the end of the day, software is the answer. Like, you know, both of my answers are like, look up to see if a clever company has solved your problem. Um, if not, or even if so, but you think you could do it better, build out your own MVP in you know, using basic tools like, you know, databases and spreadsheets and hacking things together um, and then evolve them over time. Don't expect any system to last for like a long time. It will always take editing. Uh, and so don't let that frustrate you because if you do, you know, you'll always be frustrated. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good answer. I really like Airtable because um, 
I guess it depends on what kind of business you're running, but it does have a very user interface, user friendly interface yeah. that allows the people on your team to build their own systems, their own views, and yeah. Of so they data. can. So so you're not just doing it all by yourself. You have other people who are telling you uh, because once you get to a scale where maybe at first you started with two or three employees, but once you get past like five or 10, it gets kind of hard to manage um, all these different things that are going on. Like you're not able to keep everything in your head anymore. Uh, so that means that you need to rely on other people more. You need to let go of that control and allow them to make some decisions about how the information is being organized. And that means, um, you know, if you have tools like Airtable, or I, I really like this other one called Zapier, which allows you to connect these different types of tools together. It's like there's also another one called Ift, I-F-T-T-T, but that one's less for business to business kind of uh, yeah. programs. So it's all it's all yeah. about getting geeky. Uh, yeah. It's all about getting geeky, and then and then and then hacking things together and trying to. The other thing I recommend is like. Um, uh, be like a uh, spend a little bit of time sometimes acting like a consultant in your own company meaning um is is a problem a real like problem that needs a system because it's annoying or because it takes a lot of time like for instance those are two really different things if a repetitive behavior takes a lot of time let's say you know you've got people calling in on a phone line always getting giving the same information you have to write it down on a pad of paper and then put it into a system later and that's like so time consuming well a simple web form you know like something like woofu or something could take a tremendous amount of time on uh, off of that process like instead of people calling in recommending they go to this web form that automatically puts data that you could connect woofu straight into airtable now you've got you know data just coming into your system instead of a bunch of phone calls. I'm just throwing things out, but but that's like solving a problem because it takes a lot of time. The other type of problem I see that crops up in organizations is a lot of people complain about something or a system seems really awful or something because it's just annoying. Like you have a problem that is like a thorn in everyone's side, but it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, and you should treat those differently because like you shouldn't spend 10 hours building a system that is like a, for a one hour problem. Like if, if, if you have a problem that's only taking people like one hour of time per week, but it's just really obnoxious, don't spend 10 hours building a system. So I like to quantify things before we build systems around them. And for the one hour problem, if it's just a thorny, like it's just literally annoying, like, you know, because you, I don't know, customers are upset about something or it's just kind of a, it's like a pain point, but it's not actually a time suck. Then you could come up with a solution that, is is different um that is like more about how can we make this more pleasant rather than how could we spend 10 hours building a system around this so it's always good to ask yourself the nature of the problem before you try to spend time fixing it we have a couple questions here about packaging so i'm going to lump them together one is from black scout survival on instagram says we really have not put much effort into packaging presentation until recently. How important is packaging slash unboxing experience for online businesses? And then we have Oak and Ink Paper, who says, Packaging is usually my biggest hang-up. I run an e-commerce store, so when someone re receives an order, I want to give them the feeling that they just stepped into an actual brick-and-mortar. Yeah, so those are. I feel like those two kind of go hand-in-hand. Hand. Yeah, so I think that... Um, this is, we are, you know, we're in the dawn of a new era here, folks. Like the, the, and what I, what I mean by that is, um, 
we've, you know, e-commerce is not new, right? Like, you know, there's been a decade more than that of, of product shipping around, actually, you know, quite two a bit. Two decades, I think. Two Amazon, decades, yeah, Amazon's yeah. Amazon's like I was 20 years I was now. just doing the math in my head. Yeah, okay, so we've got 20 years of products, you know, being bought on the internet and just shipping straight to people's doorsteps. Um, the But now, the, the new era that we're in, and it's been happening for several years already, is that you can just buy product directly from a company producing that product, a company that's more vertically integrated, um, and and just get it straight from them. And and by cutting out the middlemen, so to speak, you get a purer experience. You get usually a better product for a lower price. Like there's a lot of logic to it. Along with that, though, the expectation for that the customer has relating to the packaging is definitely shooting up. Um, they feel that because they aren't getting, they're never going to get that brick and mortar experience from your brand because, you know, they're in Alaska and you're in Colorado or whatever the situation is. The only chance you have to communicate with them about what it feels like to be with your brand, in addition to your product, is the box and is the experience of the packaging itself, no matter what type of packaging you go with. And so I think that the fact that to the, you know, to the, even the way the question was phrased on the second one, the box in the package is the new storefront. Like that's the brick and mortar. That's the only, and it's this miniature brick and mortar. <laughs> so the experience becomes really important. Like they're not walking through a door and smelling the Abercrombie scents and like whatever else retailers were, whatever retail magic they were working in the early nineties. Um, <laughs> but you don't have that anymore. They got to open the box and waft out that crazy scent. Um, and so I think that it definitely is undeniable to me that the customers care deeply about this. And and the reason um, is because the competition is fierce out there. Like, the, definitely it's true that, um, that the customers will self-select the brands who make them feel like it's an experience over the brands that do not over time. Um, because the bar has been set by some incredible companies integrating the shipping experience into their brands from day one. Even thinking about someone like Warby Parker, who had the home try-on program, um, you know, far before a lot of brands were trying that concept. It's like the box was came it like literally that's a very good example of the box feeling like a store like their whole point was like we're shipping the store to you so you can try this on and, and like joke with your friends about how the glasses work on on your face um so it, it's 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 true and so I think that 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 being said I you know we sell packaging and 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 people who though speak with me would understand that I don't advocate overspending on packaging. Just because it's the new experience doesn't mean that you should, you know, heavily invest and have your package be very expensive. It's extremely important that your packaging is authentic to your brand, that it makes some kind of impression. And by impression, I think what it means is that the customer should feel like you made intentional choices. That doesn't mean like just spare no expense it means being intentional and and you will um and you will get dividends from that how do how do people do that when they're just starting i mean if you're someone who only has 10 to 50 100 orders a a month or something like that you might not be able to afford packaging that is you know fully custom so what do people do in that case so the great thing um is that there's there's options at every level of the there's options at every level, at every volume level. So, uh, like at Lumi, that's like part of our whole assortment is is thinking through that. So, 
on the on the end like on the low volume end when you're just getting started you can make things look amazing through the small choices you make uh employing some branding through something like a custom rubber stamp uh something like a custom sticker or label that you use um and and or something like custom tape so uh custom printed tape can make an incredible impression the investment in a minimum run of custom tape is like three to four hundred dollars depending on some of the options you choose and I'm not saying that's not significant investment for someone just just getting started but you you spend three to four hundred dollars and you're shipping 50 you know 100 things a month you have tape for a year of your business um and so that when you amortize that expense out across packages you are upping the experience you're making your customers feel like it's considered and you're spending you know a relatively low amount of money so there's options at every level it's about choosing the right type of packaging yeah we work with brands that are you know shipping anywhere from 50 to 50,000 100,000 every every month and I think that one thing that we learned you know the hard way doing EcoDye uh is that you know when you're starting you don't have that much money to spend uh so we try to our goal at Limi is like we want you to stay in business. Right, don't overspend <laughs> on packaging. You should buy size appropriate, like your you know volume appropriate packaging uh, that you that you don't end up storing. I can go into my building uh, and our building where we run Lumi.com, and I can find Inco dye boxes that we invested in five years ago that we yeah. never fully used. And so I can we can speak from personal experience about those mistakes, and we don't advocate them. Um, when you're running your business. There's also things like colored tissue paper or crinkle paper that, you know, we have a like pretty wide assortment of colors and that's that's part of the point. It's like you don't necessarily have to have your logo printed on everything. Right. If your brand color was like bright green, you could do that that color stock tissue plus custom tape plus a nice collateral card and boom, like you have well-considered packaging that your customers will appreciate. Um, yeah, so things like um, butcher paper, Rolls of butcher paper, custom printed or um, custom printed tissue paper. The entry price point for those are like around you know twelve hundred dollars. That's a great kind of mid-sized brand idea where, again, you know, you're spending twelve hundred dollars, but you're using it on thousands and thousands of packages, um, and and so it could be a good investment. Here's a uh, well, let's let's do a couple more questions. Here's one from not Greg Kalai. Interesting. Is I, he Greg I, or is he? I, <laughs> I, I think he's Greg. <laughs> okay. But I don't know. We'll go with it. Um, how do you persevere when things aren't going your way? When clients aren't ordering enough, when investors aren't returning emails, when the tide is seemingly still. Have a lovely day. <laughs> Ooh, I like that ending. <laughs> that's a caffer. Um, that's a caffer. Okay. Yeah. Um, how do you persist? I mean, basically. I feel, I mean, there's so many like jokes and stuff about this, but I feel like the life of an entrepreneur is mainly that, okay? Like, <laughs> like that's what you're signing up for. That is mainly the feeling that you have is mainly like things are not going your way. And like, like, you know, the tides are against you. And, and, and then you have these glimmers of like, wait, everything could be amazing, you know? Um, and I think that there's actually a very good scientific reason for why you feel that way and you feel the tides are against you and the odds are against you it's because they are <laughs> <laughs> that's the science behind it the fact yeah says. the fact says well when you look at the stats about like you know young businesses failing and everything else like the odds are against you i don't know if this is supposed to be uplifting or something but so <laughs> the, the point that i'm trying to make though is is 
at the end of the day, it makes me feel good, which is that the you feel that way because it's true. Um, and so you shouldn't deny yourself feeling that way. Like you shouldn't be like, what am I doing wrong? Why do I feel this way when it looks like all other, all other entrepreneurs are like having these glowy, happy times in the press and everything's working for them. The reality is that they all, it is this, we're all in the same entrepreneurial boat swimming in an ocean of like other, you know, more mature businesses or, you know, different things that we have to contend with. And and we're like in little dinghy boats, you know, like with the, you know, like engine, Rowing. the engine oh. that you steal with your hand, Out, outboard the motor. outboard motor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got an outboard motor, and there's like a I mean, that's fancy. Liner. Well, when you start, it's, I it's just say, the paddle, right? I would say I'm cur- we currently like Lumi has an outboard motor. Nice. We started in like one of those like hand built rafts, you know, that you see in like Tom Sawyer and stuff. So okay, <laughs> um, so you feel that way because it's true. So you shouldn't deny yourself feeling that way. If that feels depressing to you, the good news is it isn't depressing. It means that we are all like we're all in the same boat and that you um, and that you should really appreciate the journey. um, And 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 you and the feelings of perseverance are that like this is normal, like doing anything yourself, doing anything, starting anything from scratch, running a business. It is very hard. And I actually feel like most of the times when I feel like very upset and stuff is when I deny myself that that truth like when I try to convince myself or I run into a brain rut where I think god like everyone else seems to be doing so well or something that that's like the most unhealthy feeling and I think I feel more at peace when I feel that it is just hard and and that's why it feels hard and just kind of like owning that um that being said I don't know if there's any more like practical tips you have Stefan for like getting through tough times um well this question makes me think a million things first of all it's like you should quit what do you mean maybe they should quit yeah maybe Maybe they're not cut out for it yeah greg yeah (laughs) i'm just saying i'm not i'm not and i'm and i'm not trying trying to be a jerk because i i don't know anything about this person's business but if i say you should quit and you're like maybe you're right yeah yeah then maybe that's kind of right that's kind of uh you should ask yourself whether you want to do this because i do think it's i do think entrepreneurship is like not it's not like the glamorous life it's it's a very hard thing to do if there you were, can't yeah if you don't at some point find like your own like inner well of inner peace like you, you you're never going to get that that peace is never going to be like delivered to you through entrepreneurship because every time you reach it, like entrepreneurship is like it feels as though you like I I think this like anyway it feels as though you're like climbing Mount Everest and then you get to the top oxygen is low like you feel like you know all woozy and and like you might you know some of your fingertips might have frostbite or something and then you get to the top and it's like someone tells you like oh like this is just base camp and then they like show you like a new Mount Everest Mm -hmm. and you're like no like my fingertips are already coming off and stuff (laughs) And they're like, good news, you don't need fingers up there. Like, they're just kind of like, it's like so brutal, you know? Like, they're like, the people up there don't even have arms anymore. <laughs> and 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 so you yeah. just keep going. And the point is that if that, like, um, it, it, the, 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 the point of that insane analogy is that there's, you never get to the top. Like, like even people who are running companies that to you look so successful, 
they feel like they've just reached the base camp of a new Mount Everest. Like they feel like, okay, well, I got here. I just raised, you know, a $40 million Series B or something. But like, you know, this guy over here, he just took his company public. And and this guy over here is, you know, running Pepsi or whatever. Like everyone has this new thing that they're, that it, that is the new Everest. And, and I don't say that as well to be depressing. I think that part of the fun of entrepreneurship is the new challenge. And if that gets you down, that is something to definitely do some introspection about. I want to rewind, though, and actually be nice to Greg, because I also feel like... Maybe it's not Greg, though. Maybe it's not Greg. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, but, so it, whether, it, whether or not it's Greg, this person... Um, I've been there. We've both we've both been yeah. there where we feel like maybe it isn't for us or something. And I and and I wouldn't say in those moments like you're right, you should quit. Like I think that it is again, I just harp on the fact that it's so normal to feel that way, to feel down and kind of depressed or that the tides are against you. And another piece of practical advice though is when you feel that way, um make to give yourself solace that it's normal to feel that way cuz that's it's like true, like it is hard to do something and the tides are against you. <laughs> and then though, ask yourself, is there anything like I should learn in this moment that would that would increase my odds? Like like basically when you feel like let's say you are tr- like, you know, trying, trying, trying to do your sales a certain way, like reaching out to certain clients and it's just like they're not buying enough. It's just failing, failing, failing. You know, you do that for 30 days. You know, you go home on Friday night and you're thinking to yourself, like, the ties are against me. It's just not working. You're right. That's true. It's ties are against you and it's not working. But instead of just kind of taking solace in that, the other thing you should do is ask yourself more scientifically, like, is something about my approach not working? Can I, in the next 30 days, try something a little bit different yeah. To see if the tides can, there's tides are still going to be against you, but maybe a little less. I mean, I think that's <laughs> such good advice because I do think that that is a practical thing you can do, yes. which is if you are um, feeling like you're doing the same thing over and over again and it's not working, it's not, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> yeah. The, so. the definition of insanity. So, yeah. it, so the, the, the best way I can concisely like put a knob on that is um, treat your business like more like a science experiment have a hypothesis like whatever is not working about it um let's say sales like sales to clients have a hypothesis around it like maybe my sales to clients aren't working because i'm going after slightly too large of a client and their process is very slow so that's like that's a hypothesis like maybe this because of that and then it's like what can you do to test a hypothesis spend the next 30 days going after accounts that are slightly smaller in size um, and see what happens. Okay, so then you, 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 in order to truly test it, you have to actually do that. You have to hold yourself to that test. And you do that and, and then you see the results. It either works less good, the same, or way better or just mildly better. And, and depending on that, you can steer your business more like an experiment. And that is truly how you will find the concept and start feeling at some point like maybe it's working. Um, so, you know, we've made a lot of jokes about just, you know, that feeling, but, but it is true that you should take practical steps through experimentation. Yeah. I think that the thing in times where it's been really difficult, I think the thing that I think about is, did I learn anything? Like, because if you're not learning 
anything, then maybe it's time to try a new experiment. If you're if you're in a place where it's painful, like some lessons are painful and you had to learn them. Like we went through a million of those and we're still going through them pretty much every day. It's a lot of pain. But if I feel like at least I learned something and I would do it differently or I would take those learnings and apply them in a certain way, then I feel like it was not wasted. I think the the times that feel the most depressing are the times where you feel like you wasted your time. And I didn't learn anything. And yeah. didn't learn anything. Yeah. So yeah, run, run hypothesis, hypothesi, hypotheses? Hi- hypotheses. Hypothesi. <laughs> okay. Run those in your own company and, and you, and until you feel breakthroughs and and those are the best feelings in business are minor minor breakthroughs <laughs> <laughs> that's the best you can hope for is, is like the best feeling is like yes like I, I was having this problem with my client relationships i tried three different hypotheses i apophomus over <laughs> over three different months and i found a solution that's working reasonably well so i would say that's that's between those two modes of thought i think i think not greg or greg can can go forth and prosper yeah i'll th- i'll throw one more thing out there which is that um don't like look at other people's businesses and think oh this person's like don't get trapped in some sort of jealousy no, the thing that you that. realize actually and this is the thing that i find after sort of graduate graduating up the levels of entrepreneurship and getting to meet other really talented people is Every person that I've always like looked up to, when you actually talk to them, they're like, oh my God, it's going yeah, so yeah, terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're like, do you have any advice for me? And you're like, oh God, like I thought I wanted to be you. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you realize that every, everybody's like, it's not as glamorous as it looks like for anyone. Everybody's got like some terrible challenges that they're dealing with, even if on the surface. That's why if you happen to be in Los Angeles, we do a series called Talk Shop, which is in person where we talk to entrepreneurs and try to like open up about the real stories because, you know, what you see in the press is not necessarily and almost never what is actually happening at that company. There's a lot of, it's just really hard to create something new. So yeah, hang in there, try new things, keep the sort of, flywheel of experiments going make sure you're learning things and it's hard yes i think we'll pick up these these other questions uh next time because uh we have there's just so many i feel so many yeah i feel like we just need to have you back on at some point soon all right so people should uh definitely read your medium article i would say that the people who've been listening to the podcast but now you know why uh why lumi is doing pretty decent. So amazing. Yeah, it's mostly because <laughs> I get to work with Jesse. So go and look her up online. Um Jesse Janet J J E S S E G E N E T. I almost like didn't <laughs> You spell, almost misspelled spell my own name. name wrong. Yes, um, thank you. Go, go to her Twitter, her mediums, her all her things. <laughs> um It's one article. Should we talk about shipping things? I'm starting a media empire. Well, oh, right. this is part of Well, I would consider this part of our media empire, um, the podcast, but then I'm adding, I would say I'm making my own contribution to our media empire. How's that? It's a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yes, we're okay. taking over the world. Taking over the world. So I am starting a show, uh, a video show 
It's called shipping things. It's all about shipping things. No. Yes. Really? Yes. 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 And it is got there's we've got all the things. We got physical comedy. We've got real information about shipping things. It's good for people who want to know all the geeky information you need to know to ship things properly, to order custom packaging, to not make shipping mistakes that other people have made. It's a power packed, you know, two to three minute wow. episodes. Uh, we're we're like shortening it every time I hear about it. It's like shorter. It's shorter. <laughs> it soon they'll just be like twenty second. No, no, no. I mean, maybe up to five minutes, but they're they're, they're concise episodes about specific things. I recommend you tune in. Uh, there's googly eyes sometimes. There's just a lot going on. So that when does that start? Do you know? Like I think we I think the first episodes drop. Uh, oh snap! <laughs> next week maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's coming up. Uh, so do people, how did they find out about that? I think if you follow us on Instagram, uh, it's going to be on YouTube. We're going to be putting the episodes up on YouTube. Lumi has a channel um, that has like no videos on it that you should go subscribe to <laughs> just to get a, you know, ahead there of the curve. There are some videos on oh, there. Okay. Some old school videos. There's some old school videos. Yeah. Go to Lumi on YouTube. Subscribe now so that you can see shipping things when it comes out. Also, we'll be announcing it. It'll be everywhere. It'll be on, everywhere. on, it'll be on the blog. It'll be on Instagram. Tell it'll us what be. else you want to know. Right. About yes. shipping things, like detailed shipping information, packaging information. Get geeky, like geeky. Specific. Like specific, like like what you don't understand about dimensional weight shipping, for instance. I will I will tell you. I will get you that. We're info. also, like, you're also going to have some guests maybe. And I'm other also going to have guests maybe. People who are going to drop some science some on knowledge on like like packaging engineers like yeah. representatives from ups like stuff we got like we got big dreams for this podcast. Big. representatives Ooh. from ups <laughs> i don't know like that i was like i was very excited about that idea. i know i'm i'm on board so maybe it's not as fancy as your podcast hey okay let's not start <laughs> no it just like just just like devolves if okay. you like the podcast better <laughs> no like no it's not a competition Everything works hand in hand very nicely. All right. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad, I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.